the shelling. We understand that it's really relatively safe here, or relatively unsafe, because it can change any moment. Lots of people fleeing from the war, they bring their stories. If they're fleeing from the bombing and shelling, then they are just saying, well, we cannot be there, and they are fleeing and they are running, running for their life. Hello, and welcome to the All Things Reconciled podcast. I'm your host, Jeanette Boom. And I'm Phil Wagler. This All Things Reconciled podcast is part of the Peace and Reconciliation Network. The Peace and Reconciliation Network is a commission of the World Evangelical Alliance. That's the global family of 650 million evangelical Christians around this world. We are called to inspire and equip the church and people of peace to enable communities to live life in all its fullness. And we wonder this question, Jeanette, don't we, that if 650 million evangelicals understood that to be Christian is to be a peacemaker and a reconciler, then what might happen? The world could be a different place. The name of our podcast, All Things Reconciled, comes from Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Phil, let's explore what we mean by reconciliation. Yeah, that's a, it's a word that gets thrown around a lot, but at its most simple and most basic from the scriptures is it means being brought back into right relationship. And for Christians, and the hope of the gospel is that that brings us into right relationship with God, with ourselves, who can sometimes be the person most difficult to reconcile with, uh, with others and with creation. It's restoring relationships. It's from division to communion, from enmity to friendship, from being against to being for, from working against to working with. And so we see that God is a reconciler and so his people are reconcilers. That God has made peace and so his children become peacemakers. And this is an everyday task that you have and I have as a Christian in our world. And so we hope that you're going to be inspired to embody and embrace Jesus' ministry of reconciliation in the everyday stuff and assignments of life through this podcast. And so our aim for you, because it's no small task to do this in any of our lives, our aim for you, where you live and where you've been placed, is to be part of all things reconciled in Jesus Christ. In this All Things Reconciled series, we are focusing on the war in Ukraine. Because right now, the simple fact is war is dominating our headlines, and it's a cause for great concern no matter where you live. It seems like it's touching everyone everywhere. So in this series, we want to engage the war in Ukraine from a few different angles, again, to inspire and equip you to be peacemaker and a reconciler in the everyday stuff and assignments of your life. And we're really pleased to be joined today by Max Olafarovsky. Max and his wife Anya live in Zaporizhia, Ukraine, in the heart of a conflict that is, as Jeanette said, dominating our headlines. Welcome, Max. It's great to have you with us. Uh, hi, Phil. Yeah, hi, Phil. It's really good to have you with us. So thank you for making time today to share with us some of the story that's happening in Ukraine. Well, Max, I don't know you. So for all our listeners and for myself, can you tell us a bit about who you are and what life looks like in your current context? Well, 
My name is Max, Max Zafarovsky, and I am in Zaporozhye, Ukraine right now. That's our home city. That's where we, uh, me and my wife Annie and our daughter Katya live. And we've been here a number of years having ministry at church, having ministry with New Hope Center organization. But right now we're divided. My wife Annie and I, we still are staying here in Zaporozhye. And uh, our daughter had to leave to a safe place. Uh, the life here, that's a very broad question. <laughs> Let's narrow it down a little bit. Max, can you tell us a little bit? You mentioned New Hope Center. What is New Hope Center? New Hope Center, that's a charitable organization that's been uh, helping uh, families in crisis for the past six years. We've been working with parents and kids helping them to improve their relationship and overcome whatever challenges or crisis they have. But right now, with the beginning of the war, we had to change that because now most families in Ukraine are crisis families hmm. because we're a crisis country now. So we had to switch to a different occupation, to a different uh, ministry now, and we are providing shelter for refugees. You've been working with, I'm, I'm assuming, because the, the, you, know, you mentioned the war in Ukraine, obviously since fe February 24th, but this conflict in Ukraine has been going on since 2014. So have you, were you already working with some people who were impacted by what had been happening in the Donbass area before? Well, we began this ministry to families in crisis in 2016. That's about two years after the war began. And the front line was at that time about 200 kilometers away from us. So what happened in Zaporozhye, we had so many refugees from the Donetsk area, Lugansk area, that local families were underserved. And uh, we specifically decided that we would help local families in crisis, not so much the displaced people, because at that time many other organizations served displaced families. And we thought, okay, we'll serve the local families. At the same time, we had few families that somehow got into our program and we said, okay, let's let's do that. So we were serving most local people, local families in crisis in Zaporozhye, and few that were that had to, to flee from the Donetsk area. But obviously that's changed now a lot. What are some of the stories that are capturing the lamentable reality of life in Zaporozhye, in southeastern Ukraine, well, Ukraine as a whole? What are you seeing? What are you observing? Well, we're seeing what people in the Donetsk area saw six years ago, no, seven years ago. The front line here in Zaporozhye is very close. It's only about 30 or so kilometers away from us. We hear the shelling. We understand that it's really mm, relatively safe here or relatively unsafe because it can change any moment. So in a way, we know now how it feels, how it felt for Donetsk guys eight years ago, six years ago. So it all came to us. And uh, yeah, what we have in Zaporozhye now is lots of people fleeing from the war and they're coming to Zaporozhye. They're coming to our shelter as well. And yeah, they bring their stories. They tell uh, if they're living from occupied places already, 
by Russians, then they tell, you know, the, the bad things, what what's happening on the occupied territories. If they're fleeing from the bombing and shelling, then they are just saying, well, we cannot be there because it's where the front line is and they are fleeing and they are running, saving, running, running for their life. Thank you, Max. You were mentioning that they're coming in and they're sharing their stories, their lamentable reality of their experiences. What stories capture the hope that all things will be reconciled in Christ? Uh, well, the hope, well, people come, when they come, we can see the hopelessness, actually. We can see fear. We can see that they're searching for a safe place. And uh, even though the Zaporozhye is close to the front line now, it's not really safe. It's relatively safe only. But we welcome them at our shelter. We give them a safe place, as, as safe as we can give it, being in Zaporozhye. We give them, you know, bread and water and shower. And that's uh, quite often that they don't have even that uh, at their places. And they say, well, this is, this is great. This is like heaven, <laughs> comparing to where they came from. But we say, well, there is the, the true heaven. There is the, the true hope, uh, which is in Jesus. If they are open to talk about that, we can talk more about, about that. But first of all, they need some warmth, physical warmth, as well as just mental warmth. And they feel our attitude, attitude of our staff here, staff here, and they really appreciate that. How many staff do you have, Max? And and are these your staff are people who have chosen to stay to help out right now? Yeah, yeah. Before the war, we had about a dozen, maybe 15 people, full-time and part-time. Many of them psychologists working with kids and then parents and adults. Uh, but now some of them chose to get evacuated the first month and some of them decided to stay. So it's the staff that's staying decided to stay, plus their family members who are staying, plus we have some volunteers. So we're back about to about dozen people working here. But it's all people who consciously decided to stay for whatever reason and are willing and physically able to work. Well, I, I'm just thinking, listening to you with that, I mean, you're, you're a team of people you love each other, you en- you enjoy working together, you're you're called to something that you've been doing in Zaporozhye for a while. What was it like to have to make those choices of some leaving, some staying? How does that change the dynamics? Like that must have been a very difficult choice for people. Yes, it's hard. When, when the war began, uh, the 24th, the first week was so uncertain. Like, no one really knew how far the Russians would go. No one really knew what direction. No one knew whether Zaporozhye will be taken in a day or two or a week. So we talked about that even before the war. Like, a week or two before, we were thinking about that, praying and saying, well, what will we do? what would we do if this happens? So when it happened, most people knew what they would do. Those who knew they would leave, get evacuated, have done that in within maybe a week or two weeks the most. And mostly we're talking about women and children. Well, men are not allowed to leave Ukraine now. Like, I cannot leave Ukraine. And that's for military reasons. 
But some families had to make these tough decisions. Like, will family be separated? Is it worth for the mother and children to, to go to Western Ukraine or even Europe and for the you know, dead to stay here? Or is it worth for them to stay here as a family? It was really hard. Yeah, and it was hard for us as a, as a ministry to see you know, people leaving. We encouraged them to leave. We actually encouraged the first two weeks. We encouraged women, actually with kids. If you have kids, we said, well, there is no reason these kids need to see the war or experience the war. Just go and leave. But as they were leaving, we understand, okay, well, it's less and less people staying here. It's going to be hard. We did open our shelter maybe a month later. So for about a month, we were in very uncertain situation. So many people left. So many people from church left. And uh, we were trying to figure out what's happening. And then we saw the needs with the shelter. And then we slowly kind of uh, getting the, pulling the energy together, <laughs> opened it. And we've been functioning already as, as a shelter for five weeks, I think. It's interesting what you're saying. It's making me think of an interesting dynamic. The one thing being that, you know, for that first month of the war, it was, of course, all new and horrible and frightening, and I'm sure still is. But has the reality of war actually become normal now, if I can use that word? Does it feel like this is just the normal everyday stuff, or does it still feel like what's going on? We got used to it. Mm. it. You are right. It became normal, which is not good. Yes. Uh, because uh, when we heard, you no, know, eight years, seven years ago uh, from Donetsk, which is, as I said, only 200 kilometers away from us, east, and uh, we heard the stories. Uh, some people went there to serve them and saw what's happening, and they said, oh, why are you not leaving? You know, why are you not evacuating? A missile or a bomb can arrive anytime and people said oh it's normal for us so we didn't understand them at that time but now we're in the same situation uh, we got used to missiles you know flying and and bombs and we think well it's not so many of them probably it's normal no, we continue to stay here so it's a bad norm yeah but you're right people people think including myself, yeah, we think, well, this is normal, our new normal life, uh, which is not normal at all. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Um, but what I'm struck by is y you talked earlier about, I mean, for a number of years, you have been doing this, uh, you and your team and the, the, the fellowship of Christians you're a part of. And I'm struck by the fact that you, for a while, have actually been acting as a community of reconciliation in your in your city and in your region before the normalcy of war kicked in, does it really feel like you're doing anything different than you were doing before, if you know what I mean? Well, uh, the feeling is different because we, we had been doing that from a side. Like, the guys are over there and we're helping them. We're helping them you know, reconcile. But right now, we're in the middle of it. Uh, it's all around us. We're part of it. We're not just helping the refugees. We are <laughs> refugees ourselves. Yeah, <laughs> Our daughter is in Germany now. 
So it's a very different feeling now. And we need uh, some physical and mental resource to help others. Uh, be before it was easier to do that. Now it's a bit more heavy on us. Yes, I, I, I was just thinking of some of the terms you used earlier when uh, we were talking about hope versus hopelessness because you're saying you see a lot of hopelessness, fear, people searching for a safe place, and you meet that with just dignity and humanity. And you used the term mental warmth. But then later on, you talked about the fact that doing this requires that you pull the energy together. So how do you continue the process while you're reconciling others to reconcile yourself with your faith, with God, with yourself, continue that energy while giving out that mental warmth? And what does that mental warmth really look like? Uh, thank you. That's a good question. You know, uh, frankly speaking, we begin to pray more. Uh, my wife and I, uh, we began to pray more. Uh, prayer has become uh, a regular part of our lives. Like we don't miss a day without prayer and our prayers became longer. We try to draw stre strength from God on one hand. On another hand, so many people are praying for us, uh, well, personally for us, for our team, for our city, for our country. And we know that and they tell us and it also gives us strength. Getting strength from prayer, from God, then we can share it with others. I even don't know how people can live without God now. Seriously. Uh, knowing, as a Christian, knowing that, yeah, if I die, you know, I know where I'm going. But if people don't know where they're going, if they don't believe in God, if they don't have that access and don't draw strength, I don't know, it's probably hard. Maybe that's why so many people become Christians or if they were passive Christians, they began to pray and renew their relationship with God now. It's uh, on TV, on radio, in media. So, so many people in Ukraine, Ukrainians here talk about God, talk about praying. And I think it gives us strength as a country, as a whole. Yeah, I can only imagine that because that's that it has got to be a very jarring experience. Not just, I mean, you you taught you already had this deep resource in you of the work of the Spirit in your life, but the opening of that must be incredible. And I'm thinking here where we are in Canada, we hear stories of places like Bucha and other places where there's been some to horrible things that are being revealed. And what are you observing as those stories come out? What are you observing, maybe even in yourself, but also in other people who are now coming to you? What are you observing in, in what is happening to people as they think about those kinds of realities and some that may have even experienced them? Yeah, well, it's hard to talk about that. That's really dark. Yeah. One of the darkest uh areas uh, of this war uh, they're showing Bucha a lot on you know, TV and radio but there are other places like that in Ukraine and that's what we understand what Russian uh, army is doing in different places and it's it's hard when we think about that when we begin imagining that uh, hard to think about reconciliation at that mm -hmm. moment uh, we're just asking God to to stop this we're pleading God to stop this uh, 
Russian aggression that the military, Russian military would be stopped and you know, sent back to where they came from. But it's so, it's so painful to, to see what sin is doing and how people are far from truth, far from righteousness, far from, from God. They become crazy. So with all of that, Max, how, how are you seeing, I mean, you, you and your team, you have a, a community of people, followers of Jesus that are responding in a beautiful way and processing this stuff deeply, but what are you seeing in the wider Christian community in Zaporozhia, for instance, or, or maybe you have interaction with other church leaders and NGO leaders in Ukraine? What are you observing about how Christians as a whole, the church as a whole, is responding? Well, uh, I'll say, I'll tell you this, everybody is serving. Uh, right now we're serving as a shelter and helping the refugees to transit from you know, occupied places to a more safe place in Western Ukraine. I just talked to my friend, pastor from Western Ukraine. They're also serving, they're feeding the refugees there. They're hosting the refugees there. They're praying with the refugees there. So as I see different evangelical churches, everybody is serving and really allowing God to love the refugees and to, to love the those who are wounded and hurt through us, through Christians. So it's great to see. One interesting thing I'll mention, our church shrinked here because so many people you know, got evacuated to Western Ukraine and Europe, but churches in Western Ukraine <laughs> increased <laughs> because that's where everybody is going. Uh-huh. But we still you know, get together for you know, praying, for worshiping, for communion. Yeah, it's a different dynamics here and in Western Ukraine, but it's um, the same love of Jesus. This is the same church, his church. Wow, that is so incredible. Um, and then how would you say that your faith is developing and who you are is um, developing even more in all of this? Uh, that's also a good question. Thank you. Uh, as I already mentioned, personally, I began to pray more. Personally, I began to ask God to to let me understand how I can love people that he is sending my way. It's whether through accepting them who they are, it's maybe being patient with them, with their stress level, because they're coming really stressed and fearful. It's really rooting my faith and uh, strengthening my faith that I can share it with others. But definitely my relationship with God, with Jesus, are changing and growing. And I can observe that uh, in other people here as well. I'm sure that is very true. And you're uh, really inspiring us in that direction, Max. Thank you. You know, I, because I've known your story for a while, I, I know of this little Dasha property that you and your wife have out on the outskirts of Zaporozhye. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And the fact that next door to your little cottage property is another property. Can you tell us a little bit about what you and Anya, your wife, have visioned for that area? Yeah, that's very interesting. We, uh, well, Dacha, that's a little uh, garden and orchard and a little 
place like a cabin a little house to stay overnight and we got one about two years ago this is our second spring we love gardening it's a it's a place where you go and just have some rest and it's nice nature there so when we got it two years ago we didn't know it would be so healing and needed for us this year because we live in the apartment building as many people in Zaporizhia there's no garden you know, no nature lots of apartment buildings and we live downtown so when the war began we thought it would be much safer to stay there so we moved the nature is really healing and we are waiting you know february and march till uh, some warm time comes so that we can you know, start the planting and the seeding we also had last year because of covid almost for forgot about that right because of the war and this year because of the war we had uh, easter and we invited you know folks from church to celebrate easter this spring not fall spring we had almost all church there you know, 20 plus people all who stayed uh, so everybody who comes says it's a great place what's your vision for the for the property next door max the place we have is very small just uh, one bedroom and basically a kitchen and a little corridor and we thought it would be so great for people to be able to stay there overnight with us not at our place but the next property they have a, a little bigger facility uh, i think it hosts maybe you know three or four families or like dozen of people and we thought it would be great if other people could enjoy that you know and stay there and pray find a place and time for prayer and for healing being outside of of city so that's our vision to be able to purchase the next property and to use it for helping other people enjoy god's creation and enjoy this quiet time with god so in in the middle of this war you have a vision to restore and reconcile people on this property we are waiting for that we are praying for the war to be stopped uh, i know there will be lots of places damaged by the war and ruined by by war and there will be lots of restoration but personally we're thinking about people and restoring people and restoring their damaged souls we can't wait to start doing that but for that the war needs to be stopped have you been able to purchase that property yet no no, not yet, but we're praying that they would sell it. Even now. <laughs> Even now, yeah. <laughs> that would be awesome. Well, maybe we can join you in praying for that, those who are listening to this. Thank you so much, Mac. What is your deepest hope in all of this? Well, the deepest hope, the deepest hope, well, the war will end, right? We hope sooner. But I want to see our country flourish. So many places ruined. I want to see our country really rebuild and have nice, great cities and places and houses. And, but even more, people who are thankful to God that all of this stopped, that all of this was able to turn their lives and their houses and everything into something even greater and better and i hope that they'll be grateful to god so i hope to see god's miracle i hope to see people 
many, many more people becoming thankful to God, praising Him and living in you, nice, flourishing, you know, godly Ukraine. And Max, can I, this, I, that raises a potentially dangerous question in my mind, just as we wrap this up. What is your hope for your people, the Ukrainian people's relationship with the Russian people? Yeah, uh, that's a hard question because uh, you no know, Russian people are part of the aggression that's happening, whether they support directly or indirectly. And I think it's going to be hard for us as Ukrainians to relate to Russians soon. I can totally appreciate that. Once I read, uh, one, yeah, once I read in a, a Bible commentary. A commentary on uh, Matthew chapter 6 or 7 wherever it says love your enemies the commentary said something like that let your enemies draw the best feeling feelings in you the best uh, the best in you not the worst hmm. so I thought what's the best so we don't want them to die we don't want them to experience what we experienced but we want them to understand what happened and we want them to understand what's their part when they are ready to repent as a country. Yeah, uh, I think by that time uh, we'll be willing to, to be open to a dialogue, to a conversation and really say, well, this is what happened. Ma Max, thank you so much. Very grateful for your time today, your honesty, vulnerability, and for what you and your team are doing, among others in Ukraine who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you. We bless you. Thanks for joining us today. It was good talking to you. Thank you. Love you, brother. Say hi to Anya for us. Well, as we close things... I think it's important that we just take a moment and let let ourselves resonate with everything that we heard, the feelings, the emotions that are coming up, and let God really move into those situations. I, I, I mean, for myself, just in listening to Max, I was so deeply touched by this one moment where he said, I want to understand how I can love people he is sending my way. In the greatest moments of conflict, in the greatest moments of pain, where you're seeing the inhumanity all around you and yet craving for people to be reconciled, be loved, be seen, be valued, be dignified on all sides, on all ends. It's a brutal honesty of I'm, I'm hurting, I don't know how to respond, but Jesus does. And if I pray... If I seek the Lord, he will show me how. So that's, that's something that really touched me deeply. Phil, what about yourself? Yeah, I resonate with that too, Janab. And for me, because I, you know, I've known Max for a while, actually, I just find myself lamenting, <laughs> um, just joining with him. I can picture some of the places that he's describing. I can picture the office he was sitting in as he was talking to us. And yeah, it really makes me want to cry actually, because I, I, um, I see the way in which they love and what they are doing. 
but also just the deep lament and pain and uncertainty. So you can have dreams and visions which come from God, and then there's this reality. And so this is the everyday task they're living, and I think it's important we hear it and wrestle with it. And probably, as you said, just kind of sit with it for a while. Like we said earlier, it is no small task to be reconciled. And, and when you listen to him, you hear the pain. You hear about the atrocities that are occurring. And for him, this desire for understanding, reconciliation is, is hard and it's messy and it's real. That's where lamenting and your honest emotions come into it. So just feeling the truth behind all of it and not rushing to find a solution and not rushing to find the golden storyline, but instead being in the reality with people. So good and so hard and so beautiful and so messy. Well, let's wrap up. Thank you to our guest, Max Olafarovsky for joining us today to the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada and thank you for listening to All Things Reconciled the podcast of the Peace and Reconciliation Network. I am Phil Wagler and I'm Jeanette Boom. Please tell your friends and even enemies about this podcast and other great EFC podcasts. You can follow PRN on Facebook and donate to this work through the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada using the code WEAPRN or check out our website at reconciledworld.net. Go in peace today. Go make peace today.